Welcome to a special episode of our Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand series brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity. For more information on the Rainmaker Multiplier process and a list of all podcasts in this series, visit ClarityToProsperity.com. Thank you everyone for joining us. Um, I'm very excited about today's topic as Elaine mentioned, finding the right operational structure to scale your business. Uh, and before I introduce our, our guest barista here, um, I wanted to kind of share a little background. This this topic we've actually covered before, and Gene has been on uh, with us before, and we appreciate him coming back. But this one's actually backed by popular request. Uh, we've heard from, from many of you, thank you for filling out the surveys and talking to our client experience team. Um, and I think this kind of coincides with the pop- popularity of our career path program and those of you accessing a lot of these practice management services of uh, you're, you're scaling your growth. And uh, it's, it's almost inevitable that as you're doing that, you're hitting a ceiling as a business owner. Uh, that's only natural. And you're, you're running into those roadblocks and whether it's having the right structure or finding the right capacity or the right team members around you in the right seats. Uh, that's where you need that assistance. That's where we want to be here for you. Uh, and that's where our guest here today uh, brings a lot of that value. Uh, Gene Roberts from EOS Worldwide. Uh, we have actually used Gene to implement EOS both at C2P and JL Smith. Uh, and, and kind of by brief introduction with, with to Gene here, uh, even though you've been on with us before, Gene, but Gene is actually one of 32 expert EOS implementers in the world. Gene, I know you were just telling me last week what it took to get to that status. Um, and that's incredible, holding uh, over a thousand full day sessions with over a hundred different companies. Uh, I feel that we're very proud to have uh, been several of those between C2P uh, and JL Smith here. And Gene is on a mission to help 1000 entrepreneurs uh, implement and scale their businesses. And so thank you very much for being with us today, Gene. Uh, and if you've gone through something like this, either with EOS, maybe you even uh, worked with Gene uh, Greg Hammer, thank you for joining us today, has gone through this with Gene. Uh, but if any of you have either used Gene or implemented EOS, uh, please chime in. We love to hear those stories and share those as a group and talk about uh, the experiences that we've all been through together here. Uh, so with that, Gene, I will turn it over to you. All right. Um, before we get started, guys, grateful beyond belief, uh, grateful to be friends with uh, the people at C2P and the JL Smith Group and have been blessed and fortunate to work with them. And quite frankly, some of you in the audience, um, it's a gift that keeps on giving. And before I forget to say this, everybody in here, whether you are a client working with me or not, please know that follow up with me if you have any questions or concerns. I'm here to help everyone in this group any way I can. C2P has been so helpful to me. JL Smith Group has been so helpful to me. Just know that I'm here to help you in any way I possibly can. All right. So with that, what we're talking about here is is structure. So let's just dumb this down to something real simple, right? What is the right structure for your business? Now we talk about structure. Why is it important? Because very few clients, very few companies I've ever worked with actually have structural clarity. It's really focused on the who does what, right? This guy does this, this gal does that. Everybody's doing stuff. And what I want to make sure that we back up to is it's not about the who and the do. It's about what structure supports the plan. We simply don't spend enough money, uh, money. We don't spend enough time and effort on clarifying the roles people play and making sure that that structure supports the plan. So if I said, who here wants to grow? Everybody's going to raise their arm. But does the structure support that plan for growth? In many cases, the answer I get isn't yes or no. It's what structure are you referring to or what structure, period? 
And so today's conversation is really about clarifying the importance of structure, getting some seeds planted for how you can focus on your structure. And please remember this, structure first. Never forget that. Structure first, people second. We love our people. We love our resources. They're the most important thing in your business. But we have to define the structure first and then plug the people into the structure, knowing that the structure supports the plan. Don't shape your organization around people. Pick a structure and make sure you have the right people in the right seats. So first thing I want to mention, Matt, we talked about this was the idea of hitting the ceiling. Hitting the ceiling is not failure. It's actually a good sign. You will hit the ceiling on multiple levels as your company grows. As your practice grows, you're going to hit the ceiling on multiple levels. As a company, usually shows up on the PL. We're not growing AUM, right? Things like that. Or shows up on the departmental level. Marketing was working yesterday. It's not working anymore. Sorry about that, Matt. All right. Uh, new client, uh, 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 what do you call it? A uh, acquisition, right? All those things aren't working. That's getting stuck at the departmental level. And then we get stuck as individuals. I call that a funk. That's when you come in, when you have a plan for the day, but the day runs you, you don't run the day, and it just happens day in and day out. We've all felt all of these things. It's actually a good sign. It means you're growing. So I'm going to fly through this really quickly. Please know hitting the ceiling is normal. It's a sign of growth. Just like when your body grows, you have growing pains. When your business grows, you're going to experience these things. It feels like you're stuck, but the reality is there's a way to get through it, and it's these five things. And uh, by the way, Matt, I don't mind. I can follow up with all this in a document when we're done that you can share with everybody. So uh, just hang in there with this. Number one, simplify. As your business grows, uh, it's going to get more complicated. And as you grow complexity, you grow confusion. Right? There's spits and spurts and false starts and all those things. Please know that you got to every once in a while stop the bus and dumb it down. Keep it simple. Simplify your messages. Simplify your processes. Simplify your structure. You just have to get back to the basics. If you don't, you're going to hit the ceiling, you're going to stay there. But when you get there, you may have hit the ceiling because it's gotten too complex. Just dumb it down. Number two is delegate. I see this with every one of you. All the people in this room are probably the superstar in their practice. And what I mean by that is you wear all the hats. You got to go out and bring in new clients. You also have to advise those clients. You have to prepare for meetings. You're doing a lot of things. That's the who and the do that I talked about. You have to find the things that don't serve your soul well. In other words, you're not great at it and you don't love it and start delegating those things to other people. Now, the structure that we're going to talk about in just a minute is how you know who to delegate to. But if you hoard responsibility or if anybody in the organization starts hoarding responsibility, we're going to hit the ceiling because you just don't have the capacity to do all of it. As you grow, the demand for your time is going to expand and there are limits to your capacity. We have to learn how to delegate. You won't delegate if you don't trust the people you need to delegate to because they aren't the right people in the right seats or because you don't have enough time to teach them how to do the work. And that in of itself is a problem. You're going to hit the ceiling. You're going to be stuck. The third one is predicting short-term and long-term. Long-term is that quarterly planning, right? What's the plan for the quarter? What do we need to get done in this next 90-day world? We can't focus for an entire year. So let's break the year down into four 90-day worlds figure out exactly where we need to be at the end of those 90 days and what the most important priorities are and focus on that. That's a simplifying tool, but it's also the ability to predict because if I can get there in the next 90 days, every 90 days successful means we're traction, right? We have traction and we're growing. That means we have a one-year plan, a three-year picture, a 10-year target, but one great 90-day world at a time is how you get there. Don't try to focus for an entire year, guys. No human mind can focus for that long. Short-term predicting is getting in a room with your leadership team once a week and saying, what are the issues that are holding us back and solving them and getting them out of the way? 
I can predict that if you don't solve your short-term issues, if you treat the symptoms or kick the can down the road or sweep them under the rug, you're going to get stuck. We have to make sure we're being good predictors, both short-term and long-term. The fourth one is systemizing. Repeatable, sustainable, and scalable. Guys, we've got to focus on finding the most important processes in our business and simplifying them by uh, clarifying exactly what steps we want people to follow. If I have to tell somebody to do something and then follow them down the hall and make sure they do it right, that may not be a people issue. That might be a process issue. If you fail to define the process exactly the way you want it done and give them the space to grow, then ultimately you're eating up your capacity because you're babysitting people because of your failure to define the process you want them to follow. Every company has somewhere between six to 10 critical processes. We call them core processes. If you can just find those six to 10 things that have got to be done every time the right way, simplify and document them and roll them out in a way that you know people are following them, you're going to create space and you're going to grow. My favorite book now in the EOS library is a book called Process. It describes the power of process and what it does to unleash the ability for your business to grow. Again, process leads to repeatable, sustainable, and scalable. but also gives you time because you know after you let go of the rope, they're going to do the job the right way. And if they don't, we coach them up or we coach them out. Pretty simple, but it starts with the foundation of process. All right, last one, guys, is structure. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Does the structure support the plan? Do you even have a structure? So I want to talk about this because after we talk about hitting the ceiling, just know it's normal. But if you go to the five leadership abilities, simplify, delegate, predict, systemize process and structure, you'll get through it and you get back on that pattern of growth. So with structure, what happens here is that people focus more on the who and the do. And guys, it's a trap, right? When I have to run around telling people to do things, that means I'm ultimately accountable for everything. There's nobody in this room that has enough capacity to be the single source of discipline and accountability for a growing organization. Plain and simple, you've got to pick a structure that supports the plan. And it starts with identifying the major functions of your business, right? What are the most important parts of our business that if they fail, we go down? If marketing's weak, we're not growing. We're probably going the other direction. If new client acquisition is, isn't working, we're not growing. If we can't take care of clients, process, compliance, right, all of those things, the operational major function, we're going down. And then we got to manage the money, make sure we can pay the bills, we can pay our people, that commissions are being not only collected, but then paid out correctly. That's the finance and accounting major function. The reality is companies usually have three to seven major functions. And if any of them are weak, they're going to hold us back. They could even take us down. An idea here that I share all the time is if I started a lemonade stand, somebody's got to sell lemonade, somebody's got to make great lemonade, and somebody's got to count the pennies in the shoebox at the end of the day. If I can't do those three things well, that business is not going to work. I know it sounds like a simple business. We could be out there in business in 30 minutes, but the reality is it's a legitimate business. It has three major functions. The reality is your practice doesn't have more than maybe four, five, possibly seven if it's a really complex organization. Dell and Microsoft have seven. Think about that. The difference between a lemonade stand and a multi-billion dollar business is only about three or four major functions. So when I talk about structure, what the first thing I'd like for you to do is identify. So what are the major functions in my business that we've got to maintain and keep strong? And what is each of those accountable for? Let's take the marketing seat, for example. It's brand awareness, right? It's lead generation. These are their accountabilities, not what they do, because that's 400 items long. Matt will tell you, he engages in about 136 different activities every week. But the reality is he's accountable for about three, four, maybe five things 
that when he owns it and he delivers well on those accountabilities, then the business is going to grow. His area of the business, his major function is going to support the growth plan. Now, when you think about it, if you have four major functions, let's just say that it's it's marketing, it's sales, it's operations, and it's finance. If you are the person who's independently accountable for each one of them, I promise you, you don't have time to do all of it. I want you to think about four plates spinning on sticks, right? At one point, they're all running nice and tight. Nothing's falling. All of a sudden, the marketing one starts wobbling. You run over there and you get it going nice and tight. You look over at the finance one, it's wobbling. And you run over there. This is your life in a nutshell. So we have got to pick the structure, major functions first. And at number two, build a team of the right people in the right seats who can own those major functions. But you've got to be clear about your expectations or else they're just going to be the person who does the work and you're ultimately going to be the person who's accountable. I want to be able to look at Matt and say, Matt, here's marketing. Here's what you're accountable for. Brand recognition, lead generation, right? All of those things. And when I go through those three to seven things I need him to own, and I show him the process I'd like him to follow, or better yet say, now please define a repeatable, sustainable, and scalable process that makes all of that work. Now I can let go of the vine and use a meeting pulse every week just to check in on Matt and say, Matt, are you keeping marketing strong? All of a sudden, I become more of a leader than a manager. I become more of a person who knows I've got the right person in the right seat, and that each of the major functions in my business, the right structure, is performing well. Now, Matt comes to me and says, Gene, I need resources, man. I can't do all this on my own. So I look at Matt and I say, all right, Matt, so what are you thinking? And he starts throwing names and people. I mean, no, no, time out, Matt. Take a document, a piece of paper, and draw all the seats that you need in your organization. So in the marketing lane, what are all the key roles that need to be filled in order for your marketing to remain strong. He may have a social media seat. He may have a, uh, you know, I'm gonna make things up here, Matt, so I'm probably gonna dig into your brain for this because it's about as far as I can go when it comes to marketing. But the idea is he would come back to me and say, hey, listen, here's the structure and this structure supports the plan. Now, what you're gonna find out is Matt may have three people in his department, but he may have seven seats. It doesn't mean they can't wear multiple hats, but each of those roles needs to be fulfilled in order for marketing to be strong. So the first is, What's the structure? What structure supports the plan? Major functions and in each department. Now you fill those seats in. Now that we've been clear about the seats and the roles and the accountabilities for the seat, who's going to own the seat? And when Matt says, well, I'm going to put so-and-so in this seat, three simple questions. When you put that person in the seat that has been clearly defined, we know what the seat is accountable for. Does the person you put in that seat get it? Do they truly get the seat? Do you understand how it works? and how it contributes to our success. Some people don't get their seat. Do they want it, right? Do they want to play this role? A lot of people want the title. They want the status and the ego. They want the compensation. I'm asking you, is that the role that person truly wants to play in our business? And then last, capacity. Do they have the capacity? We're not talking about time here. Are they smart enough? Do they have the right amount of experience? Do they have their physical and the emotional capacity to do great work? See, if I have a seat in my department or as a major function, and I put a person there who gets it, wants it, and has the capacity to do great work, I'm going to get the great results. I can be clear about my expectations, let go of the vine and trust, and just measure and manage and know that that function, that role is delivering on everything it's supposed to deliver on. We've been clear about structure, and I've got the right people in the right seats. They get it, they want it, and they have the capacity. People in a seat that don't get it, or they don't want it, or they don't have the capacity, are not going to do great results. You have got to deal with your people issues, but you won't even know if they're people issues until you define the structure first and then plug them into that structure. Otherwise, it's very subjective. Matt's a great guy. I love Matt. He's a good dude. What does that even mean? 
I've got a structure. There's a seat. If I put him in it, does he GWC the seat? And if he does, great. Here's what I need from you, Matt, week in and week out. When Matt delivers, I start to let go. I let go of the rope. I let out more rope and let Matt independently own the major function. And I use a weekly meeting rhythm to know that he's keeping it and all the major functions strong. Built on the foundation of the award-winning bucket plan process, Clarity to Prosperity's proven processes, training, and coaching can help you increase your revenue. If you are a growth-minded, independent financial advisor, you qualify for a free copy of the bucket plan book. Go to claritytoprosperity.com forward slash offer to get your free book today. That's claritytoprosperity.com forward slash offer. The last one is the one I deal the most with. And uh, uh, it's uh, the idea of capacity. It's every finance, I've worked with 15 different financial advisory firms. And I want you to know, everyone has the same issue and it is capacity. But you can't start with capacity because that's all about the who and the do, right? Structure first, people second, and then third is capacity. And what I will tell you is every person in this room has the ability to produce, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess a thousand to five thousand dollars of value every hour where you do your best and highest work. If you can just focus on your sweet spot, you can generate a tremendous amount of value. So then my question is: if you took inventory of everything you do every week, why are you doing $10 an hour work? It doesn't make sense. Why would I take $5,000 value, push it aside, and empty trash cans, right? This is about you finding and delivering on your best and highest use, making sure you understand the structure, that you've got the right people in the right seats and a method of measuring and managing performance, and then looking at your capacity and saying, now do I have enough time to do the best work that I can possibly do, the work that truly contributes to the success and growth of the company? If you don't, you need to find out why. If you can't delegate, you have two things, right? It's either a people issue, process issue, I should say three, or a tools issue. People issues when I say, you know what? I got to prepare for this meeting with Gene next week. And, you know, he's a client and he's coming in for a meeting. I got to prepare all my paperwork. What are you doing? Why are you the person who has to do this? Find the root cause. Root cause may be, well, because that person who's supposed to be doing it doesn't have enough experience. They're not a GWC fit. You must make one great people move and one great delegation every single 90-day world, right? Every quarter. Because when you do that, you're creating space for you to delegate that stuff and elevate, elevating yourself to your best and highest use, and therefore elevating everybody in the organization and the organization itself. Capacity is a real issue. Your capacity has a limit. When you cross that limit, you start to do sloppy work. You start to become very reactive. You start to become a professional firefighter. And when you are that, think about the environment, the culture you're creating. All of a sudden, everybody's reactive. Everybody becomes very proud of how many fires we put out. I need you to spend more time working on the business, understanding why we have so many fires to begin with, not becoming a professional firefighter and then actually being proud of that. All right, so a couple of things here, guys, just want to repeat. Number one is the five leadership abilities. You're going to hit the ceiling, simplify, delegate, predict, systemize and structure, focus there. I promise you, you'll get through that feeling of being stuck and you'll get onto the next level of growth. Number two is focus on structure. What is the structure of your organization? Start to pencil it out. What are the major functions? What are the accountabilities for those major functions? And who in your organization owns those major functions? And then start to build that out for every department, right? All of the seats in each of those major functional areas. And then plug your people in. 
Where do you have people issues? It's not a death sentence. They might need more training. They might need better tools, right? There's ways to help these people, but you won't let go and delegate unless you know you have the right people in the right seats. And now that we have a structure and you plug them in, you know exactly where focus and energy needs to go. And then third, focus on capacity. Yours first, start delegating. And if you say these words, and I promise you I've heard it a thousand times, Gene, we're a small organization. Who do you want me to delegate to? It doesn't matter. You're assuming that everybody that works in your organization is completely at capacity and that they're 100% efficient and effective. And I promise you it's not true. They're lost in miscellaneous activities, just like you. When you start to delegate those things down, they have to make a prioritized decision. They have to start to let go of the stuff that adds no value and focus on the more important things. And that's how this process of delegating starts to work. All of a sudden, everybody owns their role. They're doing the great work and we're getting the great results. Removing obstacles and barriers by solving problems on a weekly basis. All right, threw a lot at you guys. I'm gonna back up for a minute. Matt, how confusing was all of that? Yeah, no, I thought that was that was great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of go back to the beginning, like you said, with the structure. And I know you work across many different industries, but speaking specifically to this audience and this industry, what do you see is probably the biggest challenge for advisors finding the right structure, like getting to that right spot? Yeah. Uh, letting go of the vine is where it all starts, right? These clients are very important to me. I've worked very hard to bring them in. This person's, you know, a, a, a client or however you stratify your client list. And so they don't want to let go of the vine. So they tend to include themselves in everything. What I see, Matt, I'm going to kind of back up a little bit. Every advisor yeah. I've ever worked with or advisory firm starts off with somebody who goes out when they first become an advisor, they get their mother, their brother, their uncle, everybody start aggregating assets, right? And, and a new AUM and things like that. Next thing you know, it's five, 10 years later, they've got a 20, 30, $40 million book of business. And they have to spend time with these people who are not ideal target market. The ones they brought in the beginning that only had 50 or $100,000 of AUM suddenly are in the grand scheme of things, right? Not that we don't love them and they're not important, but they just don't require the same attention as a four or $5 million client. And so what ends up happening is they run out of capacity and they can't delegate or let go because think about their role. They're accountable to go out and find new clients. So they got to go out there and do the selling, right? The bringing in new clients, chasing down referrals, working with centers of influence to get new leads and things like that. Well, once they get those clients, now they're accountable to sit with them once a quarter and go through their quarterly planning, right? And produce those reports. They're even doing webinars and seminars, and then they're doing their own fit calls and all these other things start to happen. In reality, they just run out of time. They're going to hit the ceiling because you can only handle so many clients. And what I love about what C2P and JL Smith have, have done is then they turn and say, well, how can I get some of these clients into somebody else's hands? So it's either acquisition, buy a book of business, bring in a new producer. It can work. But really what you're doing is you're taking your uh, C&D clients and trying to hand it off to them. And necessarily, they're going to be in the same boat you are in, hopefully, in a short period of time. Or um, the second thing is they try to grow their own talent, and that takes years. You know, it can take three to seven years to turn a, uh, a client liaison into a, 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 a truly powerful advisor. And so that time frame just becomes a capacity issue. That's what I see mostly when it comes to structure is what structure supports that growth plan, that uh, career pathing for the advisor so we can continuously turn over our clients, delegate and elevate even cases to the next and the next level. Hopefully I didn't go off on a tangent there, but that's what I see a lot of. 
No, I, I think that makes sense. And I mean, I, I know we saw that firsthand at, when we went through this with C2P and JL Smith, and it's very similar to what you said. I guess I'll speak for Jason. Jason's actually in, in flight right now at the Phoenix, so I'll speak on his behalf. But when you build this, like, that's your baby. It's it's hard to let go of the vine. And so, yes. but you, um, you know, I, I would say, Gene, it probably to, uh, I, I guess, uh, be transparent and humble about it. It probably took us a year to get there. Uh, you know, I don't know if you would agree or disagree with that to get to the point where it's like you're trusting the team that's in that room enough to to let go of the vine in each respective area. Um, and, and like you said, delegate and elevate uh, in each area because it's just going to strengthen your bench across the board. I think the other uh, thing that, that I would say was also a challenge um, for us is when you're first coming into using a system like this, a system like EOS, is taking the people out of it. Uh, when you're trying to create that accountability chart of who should be responsible for what, um, it's hard to unknow what you already know, and you know your people, and you know their skill sets, and you know what they've done in the past. So probably to to kind of try and, and and take that back and and uh, reverse engineer it uh, is a challenge that first time. It is. Um, so I tell you, uh, Matt, every one of my clients, the first year, so you guys understand, EOS is a journey and it never stops. Uh, first thing I did when I checked in this morning is I asked Dina, Dina, are we still doing level 10 meetings, right? Because I want to make sure you're continuing to use the tools of EOS because they're just simple, practical tools. They've been around for 100 years. They'll be around for a thousand more. Um, but what, what ultimately happens is that first year is about, just think about this mayhem mess. They come in the room, gee, we got so much going on. You don't understand my business. We just got that. And they're just like everybody else. That's not to, to say that their issues aren't real. It's just say it's the same thing. There's a lot of stuff going on. When I say, well, let's push the cloud of stuff away and let's focus on structure. And all of a sudden we start to gain clarity. It takes about a year to implement these tools and understand what they do. But once you have the context of the tools in mind, the issues float right to the surface and you know exactly why they're happening. It's a people issue, it's a process issue, or it's a tools issue. And all of a sudden we start to attack the root cause of those issues and we solve the root cause, the issue goes away. But it takes a year to get there because we're still dealing with the hairy mess of reactivity, of everything's a crisis, everything's critical. Uh, as, a, as I say, uh, everything is uh, urgent and important. That's just not the case. So the first year is usually sorting all that out in the context of tools. The second year is about applying the tools and getting back to the basics. I have to assume, Mr. Hammer, that you're in the same camp in that one, right? That experience yeah. of first year versus second year? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, you know, one of the biggest challenges, at least from my experience from the advisors as you grow is you kind of get to a, a problem spot before you realize it. So when is the right time to implement, right? So when you came in, I think for us to get the structure internal was, um, it was absolutely necessary at that point for us to continue to grow. Because letting go of the vine is not so much letting go of the knowledge of what's happening in your practice as much as how are you going to create the accountability and the, and the communication within the structure um, to make me comfortable letting go of all those different areas, right? And that's, that's really what the structure enables you to do. And the power of the measurables is immeasurable, right? As we start to see concerns in terms of, you know, things that are not on track for goals, with the proper measurables um, within that structure, you can easily identify, you know, what are the issues? Otherwise, they're not the right measurables, right? So, you know, we started off slow this year and immediately through our measurables, we identified what the problem was and, you know, did things reactively 
um, prior to them becoming a problem. So while we, we start tracking behind in some of our goals, we've already identified that and have solutions in place weeks before we're a month into behind goals. You yeah. know, so, you know, a lot of what the operational structure does is, is create a lot more efficiency um, and it creates a lot more, um, gosh, I guess the word I'm looking for is, you know, it's just, it's, it's incredibly more visionary for me in terms of, hey, what are the things we need to be doing next? You know, where are we hitting the capacity issues? And that was a big uh, epiphany for somebody that's a financial advisor that kind of ran his own shop, flyby, you know, type of uh, uh, allocation and dictatorship, so to speak. But, um, you know, being able to create, you know, more of the, the, the structure behind, okay, this is where I want to go, but then specifically how are we going to get there and then be able to identify what are the things we need to do to be able to get there and then what are the measures we need to keep track of. So it's a lot more structured process as opposed to waking up one morning and say, hey, I want to improve my, improve my numbers by 20%. It's like, okay, let's get down granular and talk about how those numbers are going to get improved 20% to the weekly measurable. And I think that's the biggest key with the structure is you have a operational way to tie in to what you want to do from a business and how you want to create um, success within the goals you're doing, which prior to that, it was like, hey, things are good. We don't know why they're good. And, and then when so things were bad, we didn't know why they were bad, right? right? And you just try stuff, right? You pull levers and you wonder why. And so a couple of things you said there, I just want to, for the general audience to understand, first of all, having a structure that's well-defined provides clarity. With clarity comes accountability. Now I understand my role and what I'm accountable for. When you back that up with measurables, by the way, Gene, here's your role and here's what I need you to do on a weekly basis. It becomes a predicting tool. What you just said was, I'm predicting that if we don't keep our numbers on track, it's going to show up on the PL at the end of the quarter. We can't get to the end of the quarter, look back and say, how did we do? It's too late. So that transfer from proactive, from reactive to proactive using measurables and clear accountability is really when we start to see that traction happening. The second thing is, please, and if you want to write anything down, if you get anything from our time together today, no accountability can exist until clear expectations have been established. What Greg just said was by being clear about the structure and what seat you own, by being clear about the measurables and the numbers you need to keep on track, now he can let go of the vine, create space, give these people an opportunity to grow and be successful. But when they're not, we don't tear them down. We coach them up, say, hey, but there's a number we agreed you got to hit. What's going on? Why aren't you hitting the number? And how can we help you get back on track for the number? Because if we don't hit these numbers, I can predict we're not going to get the results that we want and need. And so if we are using a tool like the structure, what you're really doing is providing organizational clarity, which leads to accountability. And please remember this, please don't do this. Don't hold people accountable. It's not something you do to people. You shouldn't be managing people. That sounds weird. Anybody here with a business management degree, right? They're ready to turn off their cameras and I get that. But I don't want you to hold people accountable and don't manage people. What you really need to do is be clear about your expectations, make sure that they're reasonable and agreed upon, and then let them run. Now it's on them to step up or step out and we coach them up. We don't coach them out unless they just can't respond. And the only reason we'd ever have to coach somebody out is because we suddenly realize we don't have the right person in the right seat. They don't share our core values or they don't GWC that role on that accountability chart. So what Greg just described was he has created a culture of accountability. And we think about holding accountability as something that's very unhealthy. Well, what Greg did in his organization was he created a very healthy culture of accountability by being clear about his expectations, structure, scorecard measurables, weekly meeting pulse 
got the right people in the right seats, gave them enough rope to succeed. Sure, there were spits and spurts and mistakes, but they worked as a team to clear those things up. And now it's repeatable, sustainable, and scalable. And that's what all of this is all about. So thank you, Greg, thank for that. That was yeah. practical application. I'm glad to hear it. Anytime, yeah, Gene. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Greg. Uh, thank you, Gene. Thank all of you for joining this week. Another half hour uh, coffee break that went by way too quickly. Um, but Gene's contact information was available through C2P. Reach out to anyone from our team, our client experience team. Uh, next week, we have a guest from Orion talking about peeling back the layers uh, to better serve your clients. Uh, thank you again for joining us today. A lot of great tips on taking care of the, the, the structure first, uh, the people, the capacity issues there. Uh, and thanks, everyone, for joining us today, and have a great rest of your day. Interested in learning more about the topics discussed today? We want to know more about your challenges and priorities and how we can help build your custom roadmap to success. That's right, a custom roadmap built just for you. Schedule a free 20-minute consultation with one of our business development partners. Visit c2pe.info forward slash podcast to schedule a time that's good for you. That's c2pe.info forward slash podcast.